And we're back finally. Another podcast episode of Let's Open the Bible. This is Russ. Been Russ. waiting patiently for Gavin, Gavin to do whatever it is that he was doing, searching Facebook, scrolling Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it today, or Instagram or whatever it is I you were doing I don't over have there. Any of those things? I don't even. Yep. Nope. Lies, lies, and more lies. I have Facebook. That's it. There you go. All right. Thanks, listener, for joining us today as we continue uh, walking through the Ten Commandments as we understand them. Today we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Uh, it is a, a short command, kind of like yesterday's was, but not a, not a small command. Uh, there are no small commands. Have you noticed that? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, Gavin, if you want to open us in prayer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this command to us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit dwelling in us. He uh, guides us in all truth um, and keeps us from doing those things we w want to do. Galatians 5 reminds us of that, God, that to walk in the spirit is very different than walking in the flesh. And I thank you that uh, you have given us a way of escape and you have provided us with the uh, the strength to resist if we stand on and in your word in Christ. Thank you. God, this is, this is a praise uh, where uh, sin abounds, grace all the more, and where temptation is, God, you are there to preserve uh, the righteous. We love you, we thank you, and we, and we praise you in that precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 simply says, you shall not commit adultery. All right, where do you want to start? Well, I said simply says, but it is not... A simple matter. It's, it's very um, challenging and complex for a variety of reasons, most of which boil down to the brokenness of our hearts. Again, two words in the in the Hebrew. Nothing special that can, I don't think the Hebrew uh, enlightens us in any way that the English doesn't. Um, lo naaf. But I think what you were alluding to is how difficult it is to walk through this. There is a book called Every Man's Battle. Yes. Um, um, it's a Bible study also. Okay. Small group study. I, I've not done it. So um, have you looked I, at it? I haven't, but I know somebody who's who regularly engages in this small group study. Okay. All right. Uh, I will say this from personal experience that uh, early on in my ministry, I gathered some men together and I said, okay, what sin do you battle with? What is, is there a prevailing sin? Is there a common thing? And there were differences, many differences. But there were two common sins that, that every man, every single man in that meeting said that they battled with. You know what they were? Pride and adultery or lust. Lust and anger. Lust and anger. Every single man. That close. Yeah, well, from pride only comes contention. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you nailed it, really. But um, So uh, it really is. It's, it's a, a common theme. It's something that is pervasive. It's something that if you, you were both Southern Baptists, there, there was a 250-page report that came out about the abuse, the sexual abuse that was taking place in churches. It was shockingly horrific. Yeah, in every possible way. So first of all, the very nature of the sin is horrific. It, it is abusive. It is oppressive. It is uh, awful. And then the names that came out on the, that list were at times shocking, and it, it shouldn't. If every, if every person's battling with it, if you ease up in this battle against sin, as, as again, John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. If you ease up in this battle, uh, if you take off the armor of God, if there is uh, an absolute possibility that this happens. I mean, people, and, I, and I'm not trying to trash anybody's reputation, but, but we need to be very aware of how uh, 
um, pervasive. Uh, yeah, but but powerful. Yeah, the temptation is, you know, Ravi Zacharias, his ministry destroyed posthumously because things were coming out like this. Yeah, so many uh, will quote unquote heroes of the faith have fallen into this this pervasive, powerful temptation, sin, you know, whatever strife. Were you talking David? Were you talking Solomon? Or were you talking Samson? I mean, could be talking about any one of those, but, but I mean, I'm talking about more modern day, exactly quote-unquote, heroes saying, but, of the faith. But we 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 tend to, to think, you know, well, we fail to live up to the biblical standards. No, we fail to live, absolutely, let me say that, absolutely. And yet, in Scripture, this is a common theme. The, yeah. And and again, for the second day in a row, I'm going to use a platitude, which I don't like, but the strongest man in the Bible, he says, the, the wisest man in the Bible, and the man after God's own heart all fell to sexual temptation. That's right. So so how prideful would it be for us to be uh, ones to think that we're not susceptible, right? I mean, we're all susceptible. Right. And so so I, I brought up um, uh, Vody Bauckham. Said one time that they, you know, there was somebody that came to pick him up to go in a car to a conference or something like that, a speaking engagement, and he just said he wouldn't. And it was a woman. He said, "I'm not getting in the car with her." And and I love his response when they said, you know, he called the church and said, "This isn't going to work out." And he gave them like, "I'm not getting in the car. I'm either going back on the plane, I'm going to hitchhike, or you're going to send me somebody else." And uh, and they worked it out. I don't think he was being hateful, but they said, "Well, you don't trust yourself to be in a car with a woman alone." He goes, "I don't trust anybody but my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." You know that that's where it starts. It's a yeah. it's a casual, you know, brush against a woman. It's that, that you know excites the, the the mind to the possibilities. And we'll get to stolen waters in a second. But uh, but um, and then the other one is Billy Graham, who placed the Billy Graham rules in, in in his life and in the lives of the people that worked at his agencies. You're never alone with a woman, not in an elevator. You told me I think that he would have people go into the room before he would enter, so that no accusations could be made against him. First of all, and secondly, that he would not be tempted in that way. I think that's really wise for us to be so presumptive. Like you said, many of the leaders in the faith uh, have fallen in, in the category of sexual temptation or, you know, been tempted by money. Yeah. So, um, all right. Anything else you, you want to say there? No, it, it just, you know, I know you're at a different place than me in the sense that you're, you, you've grown <clears throat> to a place where I think you've said before you're, you're, you're not shocked by sin. I still, I guess I'm naive enough to still sometimes be shocked by sin, but in this particular area, uh, some of the names on that list not only shocked me, but it's so deeply saddening. Great. I never want to get to a place where it doesn't break my soul to see a pastor fall in sin of any kind. I never want to get to a place where a pastor gets divorced and I'm okay with it. I I don't want to say that. At all, and I don't want it to be to become so callous that I would not be hurting for for all involved um, in these types of things. I don't want to sit there and you know if somebody in the church falls into this temptation, I go, oh, here we go again. No, it just doesn't shock me. Yeah. Again, the pervasiveness of this particular sin and sin in general, we all deal with it. And this is what I told people. If Paul's talking about man doing the things he doesn't want to do and not doing the things he ought to be doing, the sin of omission and the sin of commission, who are we to think we're not going to deal with those things? Every single person deals with sin. Every single person, unless you've quit the fight. Every single Christian that's legitimately reading through Scripture and uh, applying it, quorum Deo, is dealing with sin. 
And that's what I'm pleading with the church. Get in the battle. Get in the battle. Yeah. We've had several people talk recently about overcoming temptation uh, by accountability, by prayer, by uh, you know um, maturity, maturing. It they're in the battle, and it never stops. Uh, and then I want to say this: I listen to enough podcasts, enough preachers preaching and teaching. I've grown up in the in the church, uh, various levels of participating in church, and missed a whole bunch of church when I was younger. But I've heard enough sermons to know this. Sometimes you listen and go, are these guys not dealing with any of these temptations? Right. And I don't know if That's this is helpful. helpful or hurtful. Okay, I'm glad you said that because I don't know. If the, but, man, this is a temptation of mine. Yeah. Um, and and so that it's said, and this may be awkward, I've never succumbed to this temptation. But um, you know, I've never been unfaithful to my wife. But it it's a battle, you know. So on that note, mm-hmm. let me just make a plea here. Um. We may have pastors of all different stripes listening. We don't know. But let me just encourage this. If you're listening to this and you're one that, um, you know, maybe portrays an image that you have it all together, let me encourage you to stop that. You know, the, the many, many churches, at least in the region in which Gavin and I serve, historically, uh, have put on this uh, appearance of impenetrability. They've not talked about their weakness. They've not talked about their tendency towards sinfulness and what that has, yeah. And what that has led to is uh, a congregation of people who feel like they can't relate to their pastor. Right. And relatability is not the biggest thing, but, but what I, what I've experienced is that you have a congregation that goes, well, that's just not me. I wonder if I'm saved because yeah. my pastor doesn't deal with sin and he's not in the battle. So maybe I'm not saved or maybe I'm just absolutely the most wicked person right. that's ever lived. You know, and, and so when when the pastor stands up there and goes, listen, be perfect like I am perfect, which is nowhere found in scripture. You know, we, we are to be above reproach. We're called to holiness. I'm not making light of these things. We're to press on into Christ. We're to uh, grow in holiness. There is a holiness without which we won't see God. You know what I mean? So so I'm not making light of sin or the battle against sin, but man, we're in it. And we don't want to glorify our sin. Right. Amen. We want to glorify the one who redeems us from our sin, but it's really disingenuous. Yes. Yes. For us to stand in the pulpit and act as though we are above the issues that we're preaching on. Right. Right. And there are some sin. There are categories of sin that we may not deal with. Right. But James two ten yesterday, you transgress one. I mean, you're still in the same boat with the rest of us. You know, if you exactly. transgress one law, you've, you're you're guilty of you're a lawbreaker. All right. Um, the other thing I want to say is that when you don't acknowledge the temptation, you tend to approach it lightly. And and I'm going to word this very vaguely, but there is a pastor uh, uh, that I care about. Um, <laughs> not Russ, but that I care about that um, w- was warned, you're placing yourself in a bad situation. And I honestly believe that they felt, I'm fine. And and they were warned, you are placing yourself in a precarious position. I, I, I've got this. I've got this. A couple months later, I don't, I don't know the timetable, a couple months later, they gave in. And it ruined their ministry, destroyed their ministry. Mm-hmm. And hurt a lot of people. Okay, so um, you want to go to? Um, let's just start with Proverbs six, and I'll start reading uh, twenty three. 
um, and you can interject whatever you want. For the commandment is a lamp and a teaching and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So, so these are good things, right? And this is wisdom literature. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. And I'll just read this last verse. But he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I was thinking of that verse that, you know, can you take hot coals into your bosom and not get burned? I mean, you are, you know, I had a, a guy come who was uh, not married, but in a long term relationship who started in, you know, how these things happen. It starts off subtly and everything's innocent and then it's not. And so he ended up in a relationship with another person that, that involved unmarried sex. And, you know, I, I just simply read a couple of different proverbs uh, on the adulterous woman. And, you know, one of those, you know, this uh, about the, can you have hot coals and not get burned? And, you know, it's amazing to see the transformation sometimes just reading through a couple of passages of Scripture as people realize what they've done. It's the transforming of the mind. Yeah. You know, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It, it really is. You think differently about things if you're saturated in the word and the spirit is guiding you into all truth. So you can know the word inside and out and it not really take root in your life, right? So the spirit does that work. Yeah. The spirit does that work that, in, you know, that enlightens the eyes, guides you into all truth. Those those are the enlightens, enlightens the eyes of your heart. Um, so, but I think there are two ways that, that holding that fire in your bosom is you, if you play around with sin, um, it, it's going to attack. It's going to leave a mark. It's going to leave a mark. Um, both in the sin that you continually go toward, um, you know, you're playing around with lust and it, I mean, you know, you can't play around with lust, but for so long before it overwhelms you. Um, and then the other one is there is often violence at the end of adultery by jilted spouses right. and stuff like that. So well, here's an observation I've made, um, you know, being in the car business, one of the things that I've been afforded the luxury of is, is having uh, nice cars. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the things that I've noticed, and I've probably talked to a lot of other people that have experienced this phenomenon. When you buy that, let's just any car you buy, you, you buy a, a, a brand new, uh, whatever Honda Accord, let's just say popular car. Of, of a particular color, white. We'll just use white. You buy this, uh, you know, 2023 Honda Accord white of a particular model. You know what happens? You begin to see a, a white 2023 Honda Accord on the road a lot. Well, it's because that's where your mind is. It's where your heart is. Mm -hmm. Well, in a similar fashion, when we begin to observe something about uh, a gender in general, uh, a particular aspect of a person we begin to see that everywhere 
because that's where our mind goes to. It's where our heart is. It's almost like we've developed a proclivity towards seeing these things, which is the on-ramp for lust, for these, for these wicked thoughts, which we see with David when his look became a linger. It's what we see with Eve in the garden. She looked, the Bible says she looked, she saw that the fruit, fruit was good to eat, and she ate. David looked at Bathsheba. He saw that she was beautiful, and he sent for her. This is the progression, the downward descent of sin uh, as the look becomes a linger, which develops into desire. Yeah, that, James one, we we worked through that, but uh, for where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. And so, yeah, yeah w- what you value, what you start to value and cherish, your heart drifts towards there, and then you then you start to covet, which we'll get to right. later on in the week. Um, but but I want to add an, another element to this as well. Uh, Psalm fifty one one, uh, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone. Uh, into Bathsheba, right? So this is after the sin with Bathsheba that you were just alluding to. He says in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Okay. And restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know, he's just pleading, forgive me. And then restore to me the joy of the relationship with you. Amen. Um, that can happen. Uh, there's no sin that, that has ever been committed except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And that needs a, an explanation that is, not a forgivable sin. Right. You can be forgiven. Now, now, if you're planning on sinning to be forgiven, I'd question your salvation. Yes. So I've had to look people in the eye and say, listen, you're you're setting this up to plan to sin in a way that is grievous and against God. Almost and, like premeditated murder. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'll be forgiven later. I, I'm not that's not a heart of that's not a sanctified heart right there. That's not a heart that's in the battle against sin. That's in a heart that's presuming upon God's mercy. That's yes. mocking God. And I would warn you against that type of thinking. But if you if you're like David here, crying out for forgiveness, of course there is no sin that is that is too much for God to forgive. All right. But there's a, there's a natural consequence to this, um, where it says, "Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I know of no one that has gone down the path of adultery." Let me back up for just a second. How do you know adultery is wrong? Because God said, do not commit adultery, right? It's a good place to start. It's a good place. And we've already talked about how that's a reflection of God. God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, God is faithful, right? So, So these are not an arbitrary list. They're a reflection of God himself. But we know that it's wrong because God said, don't do it. Don't commit adultery. It's wrong. So I don't want to have the logical fallacy of an argumentum ad consequentum. Just the consequences make it wrong. But there are consequences. Right. Okay. It's wrong because God said don't do it. I don't want to make it wrong because there are consequences. But there are consequences. Right. And here's one of the consequences. My sin is ever before me. I know of of no one that has committed adultery that doesn't reflect on it. Most often in the what could have been. It's almost like that lottery ticket. What could have been? Right? Yep. That's devastating to a, to a marriage, and it's devastating to a soul. Absolutely. That's a consequence that you'll live with. And I, again, we don't forsake adultery because of the consequences, but there are consequences. And, and the grief is, it's hard to shake. You, 
you grieve that when it comes to your mind, that the consequences, when you begin to go down that road in your mind, grief is a companion to those thoughts. Right. And, yeah. and it's a deep grief that you begin to groan almost that, you know, why did I do that? Yeah. You know, stolen water is sweet. We'll get there in a second because I think that's another important one. Um, but yeah, why, why did I do that? But again, lest you think we don't deal with these things, I guarantee you've had sin in your life where you're like, why did I do that? You know, yelling at somebody, yeah. um, whatever. I, I, we don't need to, to walk through that right now. But every last one of us, sin is destructive. Yeah. I, I think we think we can hold that fire and not get burnt. Yeah, we deceive ourselves. Yeah. The, 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 do not be deceived. Yeah. Sin is deceptive. And it, it's really subtle how um, it just kind of creeps in into your life almost undetected. Right. That's the, the subtle devil. But do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And oftentimes, sin, in my in my experiences, I've counseled people, oftentimes in this particular arena, in the case of adultery, the subtlety of sin, and, and maybe we've talked about this on the podcast, I feel fairly sure I've mentioned this, it often begins in just a simple conversation. You, you mentioned a, a brush, just brushing by someone. I, I've, I've had many, many counselees where it, it was a simple conversation between friends where that conversation that was happening between those two friends was not happening at home where it should have been happening. Right. And then emotions and different things like that develop. Okay. So let's, let's talk about stolen waters. Yes. Okay. Well, let, let's, let's back up. So, so, uh, Solomon, you keep teasing this. I know I, we're, we're going to get there. So, so Solomon, uh, talks about kind of, uh, uses water as an allusion to physical intimacy. Right. And, um, in Proverbs 5, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well, you know, and, and, and it goes on there. So, so he's making that illusion and saying, calling us to be faithful. And then later in, in Proverbs 9, talks about stolen waters being sweet. Why are they sweet? Well, and, uh, and, 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 and I just, in I, your counseling, yeah. have you had that where you're like, they're sweet? Yeah, because well, they're they're sweet, fleeting one, pleasure of sin. It's a fleeting pleasure of sin. You, you know, it, it things taste good when you don't pay for them until you do. Yeah. So, where do we start? Because there are so many things I want to say here. L let me let me say this: the world, the flesh, and demonic activity do everything they can, getting you living together, sleeping together, being attracted to one another before you're married. Uh, uh, desires for one another are seem to be much more before you're married. I mean, you'll hear people say we couldn't keep our hands off of each other, right? And then you get married, and whether it's age, life, whether it's God's design, sin, whatever else creeps in, and and you just start plodding along. You stop listening to each other. You stop spent. You know, date nights kind kind of become more and more rare. Um, when you are on date nights, you're often talking about business instead of you know, pleasure, the pleasure of being in a marriage and the pleasure of the, the God-given gift of, of having that relationship, that intimacy with one another, the communicative in, intimacy. I mean, you should have every type of intimacy from financial to physical intimacy. And, but those start breaking down and you start kind of living separate lives if you're not careful. So the world of flesh and the devil that does everything they, they can getting you together before you're married, uh, as soon as you're married, 
they become the opposite. So your friends that were like, man, she's really cool. Let's hang out with her. Are like, I can't believe that you let her tell you to come home. Well, I wouldn't put up with that. I'm t- Oh, look who's whipped. You know? Mm-hmm. And those friends are mocking you. So the world is pulling you apart. The flesh. Well, we, you know, the marriage bed has grown cold. The flesh is keeping you apart. Demonic activity, whispering in your ear. You'd be happier with somebody else. Oh, look how pretty she is. You know, all sorts of things. And so then you look outside of the marriage. They listen to what you say. I've had, my wife stopped listening to me. She listened to me. Yep. I mean, and, 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 you, and we start believing it. That if, we, if this person, we were married with this person, it would be way different. But you're a different person around that person. Yep. Wait. You go home to your wife and you sit around in sweatpants, picking your nose and passing gas. <laughs> Sorry to, to be crass. But when you see that girl, oh, you know, suddenly your language, your voice changes. Hey there, baby. Your language changes. The way that you dress, you're, you're presentable. She listens to you, but you listen to her in a way that you don't listen to your wife. Stolen waters are just really sweet. And then there's, I don't know what it is, but there's some type of, of, of uh, titillation of doing something forbidden. Yeah, that's alluring. Oh, it's allure. Yeah, it it makes the um, uh, the, the attraction that much greater. Yeah, yeah. There's always something that you perceive in your in your relationship that is lacking that this other person is suddenly providing. Right. And it's like, oh, she understands me. Yes, she gets yes. me. Yeah. What a lie from hell. Amen. Amen. I and and I don't know why, but God has been very faithful in my life to in every one of those things that crosses my mind. I'm, you're, it's just an immediate. That's a lie. Oh, and 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 I've got. I don't know that my wife listens to this podcast. Isn't that a shame? Why would I don't she? think she does. I she really don't think so she does. She gets so much of you already. But, okay, so I can I can whisper this without her hearing it. Probably, right. I have a phenomenal wife, and I have a great marriage. And when in the the rare occasions when the thought would cross my mind, hey, I wonder what it would be like outside of this marriage. I just hear almost audibly at times lies. I mean, not not I don't hear the lies. I hear someone, you know, I I hear myself, my conscience, whatever, saying that's a lie. Yeah, you know what's occurred to me, uh, and I, I shared this with Christy. Uh, I mean, there are some just beautiful people in the world. So, listener, just know this. Yeah, there really are. I mean, there's some just stunning. God has just made some just incredible masterpieces of people in the world. And guess what? They're a hot mess. Often, yes. They're a hot yes. mess. Whatever their issues are, maybe different issues than, than the person waiting on you at home. But you can bet the farm on this. They have a lot of issues. I'll tell you this. That's why beautiful people never get divorced. <laughs> Yeah, you just look to Hollywood as the example. That's what for I'm that. saying. You think, yeah. well, if I were just to have her, it would be great. Yeah, that's let, the lie we tell let ourselves. Me, let me tell you, in Hollywood, there are people that would rather give up half their money to get away than than be in that. Isn't that amazing? How many millions of dollars people are willing to pay to separate from somebody that is stunning? Yeah. I th- that's not so it. So when I was talking to Christy about this, she she, she said uh, so wisely. She's just so smart. She said, so what you're saying is you prefer my mess to someone else's. And I said, that's exactly right. Who is it? Jeff Foxworthy? <laughs> I, I think it was Jeff Foxworthy. He said he was at the beach and his wife caught him looking at another woman. And she, she's like, oh, is that what you want? And he's like, he goes, no, I don't want someone that's stunning and beautiful and looks good in a bikini. I want you. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many dollars he had to pay yeah, for that comment. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. You know, we're, we're laughing and, and kind of having fun with this, but there, there's such a seductiveness to this, and it, it is such a, a pervasive problem in our society today. In and outside the church seems to make no difference. If you look at any of the statistics, uh, it seems to be about 50% the divorce rate does, uh, whether you claim Christ or not. It, it is just such a, 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 an epidemic and just such a failure in so many ways how we um, just completely abolish the covenant of marriage for uh, this this stolen water this that's so sweet to us right in, so initially. Uh, let's talk about how we guard ourselves against adultery you might yeah. have to write that down because I will forget but just just really quickly I want I want to show kind of the the power of the world the flesh and the devil that conspire against and when I say devil um, depending on your eschatological position he's bound but demonic activity for sure sure okay so so you'll hear me kind of intermix those two things but the world the flesh demonic activity are conspiring against your marriage because I've sat down with people and said listen when they I say why are you getting divorced well um, I'm not happy. I say, well, yeah. studies show that you know more people are happy before, even in bad marriages. Often, they're they're happier in the marriage than out of the marriage. Right. Well, finances. Well, m- finances are devastated by divorce. S- studies have shown people are often more poor out after divorce than before. How about this? The children. Overwhelmingly, meta analysis of, of divorce, the effect of effect, the effects of divorce on children. It's overwhelmingly negative. They're always the biggest and, and, losers. And so I go, at some point, with all of these excuses that you're saying, you have to realize that God's design for marriage, again, I know I'm arguing to the consequences, the that argumentum ad consequentium, but the, you have to understand that you're being deceived because none of the things you say make sense. And God calls you. He hates divorce and calls you to be together. So we got to fight. I'm not saying that every marriage is perfect. I'm saying fight for a good marriage. Fight for a good marriage. Don't settle for a joyless marriage. Don't settle for a, a lack of intimacy in your marriage. Fight for a good marriage. But understand that marriage is better than the alternative of divorce. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then how do you guard against adultery? One, let's start with the basics. Hiding God's word in your heart. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Saturate yourself. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That let the Spirit do that work in you. So, so the word, uh, the the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the Spirit and the word working together, and then prayer. Um, pray, beg God to do that work in you and the, in the, those around you and in your marriage. Right. So word and prayer. What else? What practical advice would you give somebody to avoid adultery as a as a so that we would not break that commandment. Well, the word and prayer, number one or number two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then beyond that, one of the one of the big things I always encourage uh, people to have is an accountability Amen. person. You know, somebody that, that James five confess you, your sins one yes. another. Okay, somebody that has permission to ask you hard questions. Amen. You know, and and then there there's got to be transparency in the relationship. I was just thinking a commitment to honesty, both to, because th- this is where when trust is broken, man, forget it. That is such a hard thing to fix. Yeah. When you can look your spouse in the eye and lie, or look your accountability partner in the eye and lie. So just a commitment to transparency, transparency. I cannot speak and honesty. A commitment to those two things. So listen. If I'm going to be man enough to to entertain these thoughts, I'm going to be man enough to look people in the eye and tell them the truth. Yeah, and you yeah. shouldn't be entertaining the thoughts. I'm not justifying that, but you know, it's it's you know, I'm a man. I have needs. Okay, well then, be a man enough to be honest. And I think we have to be honest about transparency. Transparency can sometimes lead to arguments, um, but here's the thing about I've learned about mm-hmm. transparency is is if if whether you have the hard conversation with the person you need to have it with or not, the conversation is going to happen. 
So the importance of having that transparent, hard conversation with the person that matters most is, is you're having it with them, even if it leads to an argument or some other discussion that you don't really want to have. Because if you don't have it with them, you're going to end up having a different conversation about the same topic with someone you don't need to be having that conversation okay. with. All right, because I was going to say, one of the things that I want to be clear on, I, I think when we talk about the devastating um, nature of the 250-page report, I think there are a large number of extramarital relationships that take place in the church, outside of the church, in schools. So if you think you know that you can get away from this type of thing going to another agency other than the church, an institution other than the church, I think it takes place everywhere. But I think there's a vast number that don't get reported, don't get found, don't get caught. Um, this side of, of judgment, this side of glory, um, you, you know, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah. Um, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade up. That's a weighty thing to think about. But, you know, when you say these conversations have to happen, I think sometimes people don't know. Th- these conversations never actually happen when you were going that route, down that route. But you're saying that we need to talk through things in life. And if we don't have these conversations with our spouse or the people that we need to have, them, we will have them with the these conversations with the people we ought not have them with. Right. I thought you were saying everybody's going to get caught. That's not true. But we do. We 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 will express ourselves. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so transparency, accountability, being in the Word, um, being in prayer. You know, these are these. I mean, these are the keys to me. You know, to st- to keeping the train on the tracks. Right. Uh, communities of faith. Being being you know a companion yeah. of fools. Yeah. Will perish, um, you know. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, right? So yeah, yeah. You need people speaking into your life that you know there are not just accountability people, but discipleship people. As you uh, sharpen one another, right. you exchange ideas. You know, right now I've got a counselee that really needs to be in a community. You know, because he's dealing with loneliness, right? So community is so important, whether that you find that community uh, in your local church or in a small group situation or whatever, you need community. Okay, yes, and and um, the, the noetic effect of the fall, the, the jacked-up brains we have, the wicked hearts we have, don't trust yourself. Trust God's Word. Don't trust yourself. I mean, you know, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I That's say right. that so many times. You've right. heard it on this podcast so many times. Everybody thinks they're right. Everybody thinks they're right. You know, and so we need to listen to the wisdom around us. Um, and then, and then, as far as last little exhortation, it's to the church. And this is where I fail because, in spite of the way I talk nonstop, I'm an introvert. The church needs to reach out and be and and to help people. Um, to, you know it. Let's say there's some type of separation or, or uh, you, you know, um, there's been a, a breach in the marriage and you, we need to be a community of healing as well. That's right. A community that walks with people. So, so, so let's say, I'm going to be blunt, let's say you're the offending party. I would not be comfortable marrying you off to somebody else. If you are the offending party, okay, well, does that mean I'm single the rest of my life? Um I don't know how you feel. We haven't talked about this. I, I, you know, First Corinthians seven, Romans seven, um, about remarrying and those types of things. I think you are single the rest of your life. I think Matthew five, Matthew uh, nineteen about marriage and divorce and divorcing. I think if you are the offending party, well, does that mean I'm? A, I think that means you need to get in a church that'll love you well and walk with you well and care about you and take care of you and encourage you well. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't officiate that marriage. Yeah, no, I wouldn't either. I, I have uh, officiated a wedding of somebody who was divorced, but it was because they had been abandoned. Yeah, non-offending parties are different. If you, <clears throat> yeah, if you've been abandoned, if you are, you know, if that unbelieving spouse leaves you, you are no longer bound. Yeah. So that, I, and I work through that, and it's a difficult thing to work through. I have great respect for pastors that work through it differently than I do. It's a very difficult concept to work through. But where I end up, if you've been abandoned, if you are the non-offending party in these cases, yeah. Um, yeah. But but a church needs to support everybody. We're we're a haven for the hurting. Yeah. And and I think so often um, people feel like they're being judged or whatever, whether it's uh, perception or reality. Uh, I think as a church, we need to do a, a, a good job of loving people and not judging them. We're all, well, letting the word judge people for sure. I mean, there is a reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. I mean, there is a, you know, rebuke your brother. Jesus calls us to rebuke our brothers in some cases. But, but I think this is what you mean. At least this is where we can agree. We're all on the same side of the cross. We're all clinging to the, the cross saying, hey, there's room at the cross for you. We, there's not one of us that has arrived. So, um, yeah, we we are to be uh, exhortations and even rebuke are not done from a place of superiority or a place of hatred or, or judgmentalism. They're done from a place of of hey, this is the happy road to walk with Christ. We've taken a five word command and made it the longest podcast episode that we've ever recorded. Two Hebrew words. Yes. So, listener, thanks for listening to the end. If you have, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode. Until then, God bless.